I'm going to read this passage of Scripture for you here. And I want you to just kind of get a, get a grip of this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And our real emphasis tonight is going to be on verse 4, but I want to back up and just quickly read uh, from verse 1. Now, about spiritual gifts, about gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by, to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, we spent some time last week talking about what all that means and kind of laying a foundation for what was going on in Corinth. And if you miss that, it'll help you understand all of this if you go back and capture that online sometime. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same, same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given the Spirit, uh, through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Amen? Father, let your word come alive in us tonight. Let us capture truth that you have for us tonight, and we'll give you glory for that in every way. Lord, we just want to be formed in the image of you, uh, of your Son, of your Word, and so let us learn and grow in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I, you know, we talked last week about Corinth. Today I want to talk a little bit to you about Calvary uh, and who we are and how we became what we are. Uh, my father, as many of you know, was founder of this church. Uh, he uh, grew up in pretty much a non-church home, just one occasionally. Didn't get saved till he was an adult. Uh, when, he, when he did get saved, I'm really abbreviating things, when he did get saved, he got saved into what uh, I would call a traditional Pentecostal family and into a traditional Pentecostal church. When he got called to ministry, he went to Southeastern Bible College, which is what we would call today a traditional Pentecostal school. And when he came out of school and began to pastor churches, he pastored in traditional uh, little Pentecostal churches for the next 16, 17 years. At the end of that time, uh, he was pastoring just south of here in Pawnee. And the Lord began to deal with him about traveling as a missionary evangelist, primarily to Japan, and primarily God was working on things in his life because of his feelings towards the Japanese after the war. 
Uh, we moved to Springfield about the time I was five, and for the next four years, he uh, was in a, he had a business that he ran, a building business that he ran, and in the winter, he would travel around the world as a missionary evangelist. During that period of time, people would come to him and ask him when he was going to start a church in Springfield. And he consistently told them that he was not going to do that. He was happy doing what he was doing. He enjoyed the business that he had, and he enjoyed the traveling that he was doing and was consistently telling them that this was not going to be a part of his future. Uh, in around sometime in 1965 or early 1966, I'm not sure of the dates, uh, he had a heart attack and ended up in the hospital. Uh, a lot of reasons we go into that, but that's a whole other story. He ended up 1965, 1966. They don't do, they didn't do what they do now. Back in those days, they gave you nitro and hope for the best. You know, hope that you got over it. And uh, so he ended up in the hospital for several weeks, where they didn't know if he's going to live or whether he was going to die or what was going to happen next. And he was. Uh, in and out of pain. If you've had that kind of experience, we, we don't even understand it now, but uh, those guys would either eventually die, they'd have a heart attack that would cause real damage and they would die, or sometimes, but they would suffer through this thing and have to be very careful throughout the rest of their life. And it was one night in that kind of condition, after he'd been there for several weeks, that he had this dream or vision. He, doesn't, he, he would tell you he didn't know which of the Lord standing at the foot of his bed, and he thought, this is it, I'm going home. And, uh, you know, said to the Lord, I'm, I'm, I've done everything you've asked me to do, I'm, I'm ready to go. In fact, going home at that time seemed preferable to him staying and having the kind of pain and things that he'd been going through for, for several weeks. And the Lord told him something that you... Uh, you, you don't want to hear at that moment. The Lord said, uh, no, you haven't. And the Lord said to him, uh, you have allowed things in the church that you knew were not me. Now, I'm going to uh, raise you up off this bed and you're to start a church in Springfield and you are to pastor it by my word and not be afraid of what people will say about it. And that is exactly what he set forth to do from that point on. I would tell you that in my definition of it, what he became, he made a shift from being traditionally Pentecostal to being biblically Pentecostal. And he began to understand 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. I think he understood it before, but for whatever reason didn't have the willpower uh, to go make changes. And now he was called uh, to make changes. What that did uh, to him 
Uh, one, I don't think he lost much sleep over it. He just, he felt like the Lord had given him a mandate and he did it. But what happened in that moment, you got to realize 1966, for those of you who are a little older, that was pre-charismatic movement. So the Catholic Church had not been swept through with Pentecost. The Lutheran Church hadn't been touched by Pentecost. Uh, none of the traditional churches had been touched the way they were about to be touched in the late 1960s, early 1970s, when this really began to sweep uh, across the country. And they were much more closed to Pentecostal experience than they would be a short time later when their sons and daughters and grandmas and grandpas were now suddenly having Pentecostal experiences. Uh, there's still some resistance today. When you wonder why churches don't cooperate with each other, many times that's, it's usually over doctrinal issues, and that's one of the doctrinal issues that keeps churches at times from uh, cooperating with each other, the way they see the working, the moving of the Spirit inside of people's lives. So as he started the church, uh, it was going to be a, a Pentecostal, biblically Pentecostal church, and so people on that side of the aisle uh, didn't like it much because he made the movement to be not what we would call traditionally Pentecostal. There were Pentecostals that took shots at him because uh, he wasn't traditionally Pentecostal in action. He believed in uh, praying the, the, the spiritual prayer language. He exercised the spiritual prayer language. He believed in the gift of tongues and that uh, God could move through people to uh, do one of, th one of three things usually happen in that, in this gift, of, a prophetic gift of tongues where, uh, as you see in Acts, where they actually speak in a language and glorify God and people hear it and understand it in their language or where somebody interprets that, has a gift of interpretation and interprets that message, and it's, it's a message of encouragement, it's a mes message of strengthening, it's a message of, of transformation. Uh, he, he, he believed in all those things. Seen, I've seen him exercise those things. And uh, I, I watched as a boy, not understanding all of that, I was too young to understand it all, but I began to see how he interpreted these passages of Scripture and how that, in, how that impacted the church, and there was great fruit because of it. It was one of the things that brought great unity and great fruit into our church. You had people who were married who one was a Pentecostal background and one was not, and they were able to come into our church and have peace together instead of turmoil together, had people come in from all kinds of different backgrounds, especially as the charismatic movement began to happen. People from all kinds of different backgrounds were able to come in and find this aspect of, of biblical truth. Now, when you think about how bad it was, we read this passage just a minute ago uh, about, you know, death, death and dumb idols, Here's what the theologians believe about that. We talked last week about the, uh, you know, Aphrodite and the, the, the goddess of love, eros, sexual, sensual love, these orgies that would take place, 
uh, and the word that gets translated in there is a word that we would, we would say is ecstasy. And they, they talk about this word of people getting caught up, out of control, uh, swept over by some power, and that power takes over. And so for the Corinthian church, uh, people praying or speaking in, uh, in tongues was not a strange thing. They had experienced that in the pagan church. They had experienced that. Now Paul's definitely saying to them, you worship deaf and dumb out. They can't hear and they can't speak. What he was telling them is, what they were doing, what those people were doing was demonic. They weren't doing what was Christian. They were doing what's demonic. And so now, even today, we have Christians who are on the other side of this who say that the Pentecostal experience was for that day and is no longer valid. They will say Pentecostal people today are I, I, one really famous one just wrote a book about it a couple of years, about a year or two ago, talking about uh, people who have this Pentecostal experience are really having a demonic experience. Now, that guy's got some answering to do for, to God someday. Uh, I believe God is gracious and kind, but that's where, all the, that's where all of this comes from. That's where all this conflict comes from that we even have today. From the very earliest, so here what, here's what's going on in Corinth. Paul is dealing with some of their questions and he's dealing with some of their abuses. And with a careful reading of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, when you read all of it, when you look at every verse and not just the ones you want to cherry pick that fit your tradition or your background, and they can be done on both sides of this. You can pick out what comes from your tradition and your background. If you don't do that, but you look at the entirety of that passage, in every one of the lists that he gives of gifts, tongues is the last one that he mentions. And the feeling for that is, is, he, is that tongues has risen to this really high place in the Corinth church that if you're spiritual, this is what you do. And he is trying, he's, he's going, we'll talk about this a little bit more as we get into this. He's showing them, no, there's a variety of gifts, there's all kinds of gifts, there's all kinds of things that are going, and he's dealing with the abuse of the gift of tongues inside the church. That almost from the very beginning of the church, you see the founding fathers of the church dealing with. Now, here's the, the interesting thing. They never say, don't do this. They never say, this is wrong. They're dealing with the abuse and putting things in the right order. They're saying, this is how it really works. This is what it's really about. Are you, are you with me today? And that's what, when Calvary started, that was one of the fundamental issues of how my father saw himself having allowed things that in his spirit he would go, wow, that's, I don't think that's God, but if I said something in this setting, 
I would get crucified for it. This is the traditional setting. And now he's able to say, okay, I'm starting this church, and if somebody doesn't like this, they don't have to stay. And I'm going to do it the way the Bible tells me to do it, the way the Scripture. Now, over the next several weeks, as we go through these passages, I think you'll begin to see this balance. I think it's very important for us that we want to be a Spirit-filled people. We want to exercise. Uh, I want to encourage you, and I, think Paul, I know Paul encourages you, to seek this prayer language. Uh, to seek this empowering of the Spirit. I think, I, I know Paul encourages us to let the gift of tongues happen in the church, but he gives very clear instructions about where it is supposed to happen, how it's supposed to happen, and what's going on when it happens. Now here's the one thing that is consistent that you need to understand. This a- attitude of this ecstatic uh, experience where the person is out of control. And, and this is why some people don't get, don't exercise the gift of the Spirit in their life. They've got some idea in their head that they're going to come down here, somebody's going to pray for them, the Spirit's going to grab their tongue and make them say things that they've never said before. Paul fights against that idea. Paul always pushes to the fact that the Spirit is subject to the person. That the Spirit doesn't make us do things. That the Spirit is a gentleman in us and we cooperate with the Spirit, but we allow the Spirit to speak through us. And, uh, and so he's very, very clear about that. Paul you know, pretty consistently is you, you think about something as simple as uh, as falling in the spirit. Uh, nowhere in the Bible is that pointed out as a gift. Nowhere in the Bible is that pointed out as something to seek. Paul experienced it. He fell on the Damascus Road when he came in the, in the, in the, into uh, the presence of God. He fell and got up and couldn't see. The soldiers experienced it when they came to arrest Jesus, and Jesus said, they said, who are He said, I am. And when he said, I am, which is this proclamation of he's the Son of God, the Bible says they all fell. They all fell. They were overcome by the power of what just happened in that moment. And so you see moments of this, but it's not a common thing. It's not a thing that we seek. And typically, what you find in the Bible, typically, I'm not saying it's every time, but typically, it's because somebody's going the wrong direction and God's given them a chance to turn. It's not just an experience I come and I, I get it this week and I come back and I get it the next week and I come back and I get it the next week. We never see that in the Bible. And the Bibles are standing for faith and conduct, right? So we can, we can make stuff up in our tradition. We can make stuff up and say it's our experience. But here, always be careful with this. If you're talking about something or somebody else is, and they are defending their point of view by their experience 
and cannot support the experience by biblical revelation, that is very, very, very weak ground. That's a, a, by far an exception instead of a rule. And so you, you want to be able to support all of this by what the Bible has shown us about how God works in our life. And if all I can say is, well, my mom did that, and her sister did that, and our church I grew up did that, and everybody did that, the, 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 the right question is, what does the Bible say? And that's why we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and, and, and 14 to see exactly what the Bible says. The role of the Holy Spirit is of highest importance to our lives and the work of the kingdom of God uh, in the church and the world. We talked about that last week, and we're going to look at that over the next several Wednesdays and uh, see what Paul has to say about that. And in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, it's all about the Holy Spirit working in our lives and in the church. And I would tell you today that uh, there's so much meat in, this, in these chapters that it's really marvelous, but primarily, just as he's just gotten done dealing with communion, he's now dealing with the gifts of the Spirit and primarily uh, the, gift, the, the gift of tongues. So last week we shared some history on that, some foundational uh, statements about giving. In 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, is known as the primary scripture on gifts in all the Bible. This is the primary one. That there are other passages that list gifts. Let me read a couple of them to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, 28, just a couple of verses down. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God is appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kind of tongues. See where tongues fits here? The reason it fits there is because he's, he's trying to show them, look, there's other things too. He's not trying to diminish tongues. He's trying to show them, look, there's other things. Ephesians 4, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry for building up of the body. Then you got Romans 12, 3 through 8. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. He's talking about us. We all have different roles. So we, though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We'll talk more about this next week. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Our gifts are going to be different. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to your faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in, in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So you read these and you hear different things being said. But 1 Corinthians 12 is the primary one. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, 
to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, discernment, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And we'll dig into those uh, a little bit more in the next few weeks. Two trains of thought on this passage. Here's the trains of thought that you get from theologians. And they, they, they argue ad nauseum about these things. First train of thought is this. There are nine gifts as listed in 1 Corinthians 12, and all the others listed throughout the Bible fit into those 12 some way. Okay? That's, that's one argument. The other thought is that 1 Corinthians 12 is neither exhaustive or even carefully worked out. It's not, it's not like something really set and going, okay, this is 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th. It's just Paul going, hey, uh, here's, here's the gifts that the Holy Spirit's leading to his mind at that moment. It is a list that represents the varieties of the ways that the Holy Spirit can manifest himself throughout the lives of believers. And they emphasize the word varieties, different, that we read here tonight. Different, 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 varieties, varieties, varieties in some, uh, in some lists. Uh, and so the, the statement is that none of the lists was supposed to be complete simply because the Holy Spirit can move on us as he will. And these lists simply represent some other ways he can move. And you'll find other places in the Bible where there's standalone statements that this is a gift or this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And they'll point out all of those things. These are varieties of gifts. And, and frankly, uh, if you want to argue amongst yourself about which is which, I'll leave that to you. To tell you the truth, I, I don't care a lot. What's important is this. Uh, the foundation is important. And that's what's beginning here and carries through 1 Corinthians 13. Is the foundation of the gifts in our life. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says, Now there are varieties of gift, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who works and who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the Spirit, uh, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Do you see how powerful a body of believers could be if people were functioning in those gifts. And we, and we recognized, hey, that guy's got the gift of wisdom. Hey, that, that guy, when you want to get prayed for, you go to that gal. She has this gift of healing and prayer. If you need a miracle, and, and, and you know, the, the, these people over here they, they want, to go talk, want to go have them pray with me and talk to me and speak into my life. If I need knowledge about something, there's, there's certain people to go to because they have... Not man's not. They have spirit-empowered knowledge. Now, to me, that's really cool. Is it to you? All of them are empowered by one and the same spirit, listen, who apportions 
to each one individually as he wills. I don't get to choose that. I don't get to take that on. He chooses that. I don't get to choose it for you. Somebody says, come see me and I will, uh, I will uh, assign you a gift of the Spirit. Don't go. You know, if somebody wants to try to help you define what it is and they, maybe they, they have some discernment and they can begin to discern, maybe. But be careful. Be really careful. Uh, and how we do all of that. There are, listen, so let's, let's look at some foundational issues. The first one is this. There are varieties of gifts. The varieties. They differ with each person. And we use them in proportion to the faith that we have. And so when we look across the body, there's varieties of gifts. Now let me tell you, uh, the trying of the saints is not one of those gifts. Uh, complaining is not one of those gifts. Are you with me tonight? You know, testing the patience of the saints is not one of those gifts. Uh, we, we don't want to be those people. We, we don't want to be the people that cause division and separate. The Bible puts all that in another category of the works of the flesh. But there are varieties of gifts. And what we understand is they come from the same Lord. So what, what Paul is trying to get them to see is, look, don't just think tongues is great. Tongues is great. He's going to tell them later in 14, I, I want you all to, to have this gift, this gifting, the prayer language. But he's saying, recognize the other gifts. Be aware. There are differing gifts, and we need all of them. As we go on next, we start talking about the body, that there's different portions of the body. We all have a place to play in that. There are varieties of service. This is foundational to understand. Everybody's not going to do the same thing. Here's what happens so many times. I remember feeling this way as a youth pastor. I'd sit and I'd say, you know, 84% of the people who get saved, get saved before they're 18, everybody should be in youth ministry. Now, what, what's wrong with that? This is where most of the people are going to get saved at. We all ought to get over there. Send me all the money. They ought to give me all this. They ought to, we need to be concentrating on teenagers. Why? Because I was passionate about teenagers. And I, I've talked with people who would look at me, and they were bus workers, and they'd say, we need to be given more money, and more people need to be bus workers. And if you talk to outreach people, they'll say, more people ought to be involved in our outreach ministries. And if you talk to, uh, you talk to people going down and, you know, giving food out, away, more people ought to be doing this. And we ought, the whole church ought to be out doing it. Everybody ought to be out doing this. And here's the reality. There are different varying gifts. And some people are called to go do those things. Some people are called to work with teenagers. And I learned as a youth pastor for 11 years, there are some people I did not want in there with the teenagers. They were not gifted. They were not patient. They did not understand them. They did not, they did not remember what it was like to be a teenager themselves. Or maybe when they grew up, they hated being a teenager. You really didn't want that guy in there. He hated being a teenager. He hated the way he was taught being a teenager. He hated the way people treated him. When he's, and now he's getting even with the teenagers that he's... Don't want that guy around. Now, listen. 
So, so, so we got to give freedom for the various services, especially when you find yours and you're really passionate about it. Now, there's a difference between Christian responsibility and passionate gifting. So you heard this in, in Romans. Uh, if you're called to give... Give generously. Now, he's not talking there to uh, the church and saying, listen, some of you aren't called to give, but there's some people who are really called to give, so the rest of you don't have to give. No, he's saying there are some people that God has gifted with the ability to make money and give money, and they need to do it generously. In great passion and purpose, they need to be all about it. They need to be all about it. And, and they need to joyfully do that. And all of us have a responsibility to tithe. All of us have a responsibility to some level of generosity. But some have a high calling to go do that. Uh, my dad always said, I want that gift. And, and people would say to him, why do you want that gift? Because for me to be able to give, God has to give me something to give with. You know, it's got to flow through me some way. It's got to flow through me some way. Uh, evangelism. All of us are called to evangelize. I think this is one of the places where we get, tri we, we get tri tripped up sometimes. As, as you've heard me talk before, statistics tell us that 70% of the people that get saved get saved because somebody invites them to church. Now, you will hear so many people come through and say, all of us need to learn how to evangelize and share our faith individually. And I believe all of us should be able to tell our story. We've worked on that. We've talked about that. We all need to be able to tell our story. But some people are just gifted to do it all the time. They're just gifted. And they're gifted to help other people learn how to do it all the time. And I don't... I, I, the person who's not gifted to do it all doesn't need to beat themselves up. They need to be a bringer, and they need to make sure the people in their circle of influence have heard the gospel. But I know people that can go up to total strangers in 15 minutes. They're sharing faith with them, and they're being effective. It's being powerful. It's penetrating the darkness. And they can come in and teach others and help others learn how to do that. Uh, let me, let me give you one simple. Worship leaders. There are people who are called to lead others in worship. They're gifted to do that. They just naturally flow in the, in the, in the Spirit. They've they, they got musical skills and abilities God's given them, and they naturally flow through it. So wherever you put that on the list of gifting, can you accept that some people are called to lead us in worship, and others of us aren't. I mean, we're not, do you think it would be wise if we just said, okay, uh, we're going to, you know, once a year pull 52 names out of the hat, and whatever Sunday, uh, whatever people we pull out, one of the Sundays is yours to lead worship. That's, that's not the way the kingdom is supposed to work, is it? No, we want gifted people doing gifted, just like teachers. We want gifted people 
doing gifted ministry. And that's why you need to know what yours is. And the third part, foundationally, there are various, there are varieties of activities. There's just varieties of things to do. The body's a big, complex body with little kids in the nursery to senior adults in the nursing home and, all, and everything in between. There's varieties of ministry that needs to take place and the whole body needs to be at work doing that ministry and celebrating each other's ministry. Now, here's a second foundational point. God empowers the gift. God empowers the gift. Just because somebody has the talent to get up in front of their business. Maybe they're, maybe they're an insurance guy, and they can get up in front of a bunch of insurance guys and help them learn how to sell insurance better than they could before, and he gives them things and he teaches them. Doesn't mean he can stand up and preach a message of the gospel that is empowered or teach a Sunday school class and it be empowered to change people's hearts. Doesn't mean that at all. That gift of teaching, that gift of preaching comes with the power and the anointing of the Spirit. Listen, have you ever sat in a sermon, in a service, and sat there and at the end, as you're listening, you're going, did my wife tell him about me this week? Has he been following me around? You're sitting, a, you're sitting in a small group and somebody's talking, you're going, Somebody has told them what's going on in my life, and that guy's getting in my business. You know, that's, that's not the preacher. That's the gifting of the Spirit empowering the Word to cut down to your heart. I don't know how many times I've stood out in the interview of one of our church, of one of our church and somebody comes up to say, man, you were, wow, you like you followed me around this week. And, and, I say, well, tell me about it. And they'll, they'll name one little point, sub-point of the message. One line in the message. And the Holy Spirit took that one line and like an arrow to the center of their heart went after them. And they're sitting there, and I don't even know if they heard the rest of the message because the Holy Spirit was working on them. Are, are, you, are you getting this? That's spirit empowerment. That's not, that's not the past. That, that's just us being obedient and the Spirit doing His work. I can't convict anybody to get saved. I can't do it. Wish I could. Can't. The Holy Spirit can't. And as we do what God calls us to do, the Holy Spirit does. Just like when you're witnessing. You can't, you can't convict anybody to get saved. You can tell them your story and let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do. We, we, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. In the case of the Corinthians... The highlight in tongues was being highlighted as the highest gift that they could have. And you were somebody if you gave messages in tongues or you prayed in tongues. And you were lesser if you didn't. Most likely that came because of Pentecost. And then speaking in tongues becomes this thing in the service. And there was this attitude of being super spiritual. And I want to tell you. This is always in danger. The enemy always wants to push us into that kind of thinking. And if you get in, in many, many traditional Pentecostal settings, if somebody hasn't given a message in tongues 
or there hasn't been praying in the Spirit, it wasn't a great service. We've quenched the Spirit somehow. And yet the Bible never says that's the case. The Bible never teaches that. Paul was pointing out the variety of gifts and that all of these gifts were important and that we could not do any of them on our own. We needed the empowerment of the Spirit. Paul was raising the value of all the gifts. He was showing them that they all had to be empowered by God. Here's number three, foundational. Everyone gets a gift. Everyone gets a gift. Nobody's left out. Gifting is not a sign of the super spiritual. It's a sign of the Christian. The Christian gets a gift. You have some variety of gifts in your life if you're born again. The question is, have you discovered them and begun to unleash them? You know, I remember clearly as a young man the first couple of times when it changed from me sharing a testimony to God giving me a word. And I knew it was different. I knew what I was saying was different. And people began to come up to me and say, you got something there. Some would say, I remember once, guy, I remember after the very first time I ever did this, where I, I sensed the Spirit of the Lord lead me into a message, and I shared it. I could tell you what it was today. I still remember it. And I remember a guy coming up to me and going, you chip off the old block. Now, what was he saying? The gift I see in your dad, I sensed in you tonight. That wasn't about my dad. That was about gifting. And, and as we walk through life, we begin to discover that gift. And one of the ways to look at it is where do you really impact people at? That's one of the ways you discover. Where does my life really begin to impact people? And where do I really find life-affirming power of the Spirit in my life when I do it? Remember, a variety of gifts. If, if I worked with a bunch of two-year-olds, I would not feel much life-affirming power in my life. Thank God there are people who do. Amen? Like I said, when I worked with teenagers, I felt life-affirming power of God every time I walked out of there. There were other people who came in that just made them mad. They didn't need to be in there. They needed to go find where they have life-affirming power because that's one of the signs that the Spirit is moving in your life. So we need to put that effort into recognizing uh, the need and, and, and discovering the importance and the purpose uh, of these various gifts, and, and he's undermining, Paul's undermining this idea that certain gifts should be different, and one's high, have higher places of honor, and he will highlight one gift, but, it, you know, he will highlight one gift as one we should all seek. We'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But he's saying all these gifts are important. Now listen, I'm a pastor, and I have certain gifts as a pastor. When I was a young man, I was traveling a lot, and I, I, I can clearly remember I'd been out of the, away from the church for a couple of weeks doing youth camps, and I can clearly remember at the end of about the second or third week being gone, going, uh, look, this is good, but I don't feel like this is where God, I think God wants me to, be a, wants me to go back and pastor my kids. I miss doing that. 
And there were other guys, all they could talk about was, I can't, summer's coming, I'm going to be speaking at youth camps. So I was going, yeah, I, I guess that's, I, I was getting invited to those things. I was going, yeah, that's, it's okay. And finally, I just came to a point where I said, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I started saying no. Because I wasn't sensing the life-affirming power in that. In fact, I was feeling frustrated that I was only able to get so far and I couldn't see any of the other fruit come in their lives. You've got to understand that. You've got to understand who you are. I, I have some gifts of, of leadership. That does not make me a better man than anybody else. That does not mean I am above correction or reproach. doesn't mean any of those things. Uh, Pastors can mess up. Pastors can get prideful. Pastors can make it all about them. Any, any kind of public ministry, that's one of the weaknesses. And you just got to understand, this. anything that's good is empowered by the Spirit, and just as God gave it, he can take it away. Remember Eli and his sons? And they talked about the Shekinah glory, and, it was, and the Shekinah, it says the Shekinah glory has left and they didn't even know it. I mean, that just blows my mind. They didn't even, and I, I, that has been one of my prayers. God, if your glory starts to lift off to me, let me know it. Let me know it so I can get on my face, humble myself, because that, if I can't live without that, I can't, I can't do anything without it. Uh, now, being a pastor does give me certain authority inside the body, and if the body's wise... They let the pastor exercise that authority. We'll all answer to God for how we use our gifts. Now here's the key. Gifts are given for the glory of the person. Is that right? No. Gifts are given for the common good. That's why you get a gift. You get a gift to be a blessing to others. To use it to bless others. I've seen people get prideful in their gift. But if we exercise agape, love that wants the highest good for others, we won't get prideful in our gifts. We'll just get thankful that God is kind enough to use us. None of this is about putting us on a pedestal. All of this is about lifting Jesus up. Amen? If we can do our ministry and be forgotten, and people walk out of that place going, God is great, he touched my life, he moved in me today. What worship band sang today? What preacher preached? We can be forgotten. We are not what's important. We just want to be the vessel he flows through so Jesus' name is lifted up on high. Amen? And whatever gift. So here, we are called to use our gifts for the common good. The ministry is not my ministry. It's not really even our ministry. It's his ministry. Now, all of us can struggle with the balance between where our name needs to be used and when it's vain to use it. You know, there's, there's right place in all of that. But it's not about us. Gifts need to be recognized and listen, they're recognized even as they are judged. Now, I'm using me as an example of gifts today. If I present a program to this church, a change, 
and, and you're sitting out there, maybe it just seems like, oh, here he comes, pastor wants more money. Uh, you, you've got to sit and say, uh, is he just trying to get more money or is he using his pastoral gift, his leadership gift to call us to do something God's called us to do? Now, if in the process of that, the elders begin to get up and say, pastor's called us to do this and we're with him. We're, we're deciding this. We're moving this way. Uh, we're behind the pastor in this. If other pastors in the church begin to say, yep, this is right. This is right. This is the right way. Well, then, then the, the people in the church better be very careful. Just like if there's somebody in the church who has the gift of discernment, and you go to them and, and, and ask them a question, and they say, well, listen, this is, what, this is what I feel the Spirit of God's telling me. You better be careful if you ignore that word if they've got the gift of discernment. It doesn't mean they're God in your life, but it means they have a gift that they can exercise, and when they use it, you better be careful not to just blow it off. You better stop and back up and say, wait a second. Well, why, why is this person who has this gift? This applies to all the gifts. Now listen. What we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, and I want to wrap this up, but I want, to, I want to kind of lay this out here right now. In tongues, there's a prayer language in tongues that God wants, the Holy Spirit wants all of us to be able to exercise, and we'll show you why. There's the gift of prophetic tongues that is for just some people. Not everybody gets that. The Bible's, as we read down through here, you read 1 Corinthians 12, he's very clear. Not everybody gets this. Uh, so when you think about this, uh, you get one side of people who say, nope, that day is done, that doesn't happen anymore, and they're going to shoot the, at the Pentecostals. And you got side two who say, if you just don't let everything go, you quench the spirit and any judgment quenches, quenches. I believe if you don't judge, it quenches the spirit. Because if you just let anything go, the enemy can send anything in. And there has to be some point in time. Listen, I've, I've heard hundreds if not thousands of messages in tongues. I, I don't want to put a number on it but I would tell you that the number of ones that were legitimately the gift of the Spirit speaking in that moment is a much smaller number than that. Most of them were some sincere person just getting caught up in their own spirit. Uh, sometimes just somebody who pridefully wants to try to exercise that gift. And generally, <laughs> generally if that's the case, they're smart enough and maybe even love God enough that they basically, what you hear in that moment is just another proclamation of what's already been said or what is clearly stated in the Bible. And you find yourself sitting there going, why did God have to tell us that? I know that from his word. It's when they bring some revelation and some clarity of something that you, that, and that, that, moves you, and then the church better respond to it. So that, we'll, we'll get into that more in the next couple of weeks. Things will become clear as we look at the Word. Number five, quickly, uh, the Spirit apportions them as he, as he will. 
Uh, we've read about this in Romans. So this, the final thing, the Spirit is the master of supply and demand. He knows the need of the local body, and he supplies the gifts. He knows what we need. So, um, let God do his thing. Now, if you sit and say, I, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I'm going to give you just a couple of quick things, three, three, three or four quick things to do. One, begin to pray to understand it. God, help me see what my gifts are. Two, begin to look at the things that you are passionate about, that you want to be involved in, and that you find success, some, some power and some anointing of the Spirit when you do it, when, when you begin to do it. And, and third, make sure you go to the starting point class and get the gift assessment because that's going to help you do number two better. It's going to help you look at what you're gifted at and what you're passionate about and what you really enjoy doing, and you're going to find some things out about yourself that's going to help you begin to explore and discover your gift. The Lord doesn't usually come down and give us a big sign. Usually we discover it as we begin to exercise certain things and we find life in it and others find life in it. So don't sit back and say, I am the only person in the kingdom of God that he has never given a gift. No, he's given you a gift. You just haven't discovered it yet. And you're not even the only person who hasn't done that. And if you have discovered your gift, then you take that gift and you just work at doing natural things to help you exercise it better. So, for me, what that meant was I had to study the Bible more. If I'm going to preach the Word, I've got to study the Bible more. And I've got to know the Bible more. And so that's what I began to do as a young man. Because, listen, if I, if I have the gift and I preach and it's not biblically sound, it's no good. It's, it's, not, it's not worthy. If, if, you, if you have this gift of you know, even being able to lead people and worship, you've got, to, you've got to hone your skills and get better at what you're doing. Now, the spirit empowerment, you can't get better at the spirit empowerment. Only spirit can do that. That's, you get that by being close to God and praying and seeking God and going to him. But you develop your natural talents, your natural abilities around it, your knowledge around it, all the other stuff around it, so you get better and better. If you, if you feel gifted to work with kids, you want to learn everything you can about kids. Just learn everything you can. And the Spirit will now help your gift blossom inside of that knowledge. That's not the gift. That's just you taking and saying, I am passionate about this. I'm going to, get, I'm going to know more about it so the Spirit can flow out into all of those places naturally. Are you getting this? And then the Spirit's able to use all of that to, to bless it. But you've got to be serious about your gift and grow in it. All right, has this been okay tonight? Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. How many in this room you'll say, Pastor, I know what my gifting is. Uh, I know what I'm, I'm called to do. And I am exercising it and walking in it and finding the fullness of life. And just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, that's, that's me. I know what I'm supposed to do.
All right. How many sitting say, you know what? I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure yet what my gifting is. Just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you in this room are not going to raise your hand no matter what I say? <laughs> okay. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this congregation. I love them. You have such an important job for them to do in this community. There are lives you want to rescue. Eternities you want to change. People you want to bless. Answers you want to bring. Mercy you want to offer. Oh, Father, needs you want to meet. Through the men and women that sit in this church tonight and that will sit here Sunday morning. And you've called to us not to be ignorant of your spiritual gifts. So, Lord, I pray for those who are exercising them that they would find more and more life to the full and grow in them and just get more and more of, of your gifting, more and more of your spirit moving in their life and through different areas of their life as they learn and grow. And for those who aren't sure what their gifting are, are what, the, what it is yet, whether they've raised their hand tonight or they didn't but needed to, I pray that there would be a hunger to be that person who can be empowered of you to make eternal difference. This is the greatest cause in the world. Lord, help us to jump in the middle of it and use the gifts you've given us to change eternities and to meet needs. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I love you. Go in the name of the Lord tonight.